Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series. As you know, my name is Scott Miller, and I am privileged to serve as your weekly host and moderator. What is now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast led to the publisher HarperCollins Leadership to ask me to write a book about some of the most transformational insights I gleaned from our first series, first episodes three years ago. So releasing now is Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, where I write a fairly easy, breezy, fast read on 30 guests, 30 chapters, a single insight from each of them. Hope you'll pick up a copy available on Amazon and all book retailers, Master Mentors. Our guest today is the essence of what it means to be a mentor. I hope that perhaps for volume two or volume three, he might even agree to be featured in the future editions of Master Mentors. His name is Colin Cowie. This is a household name to literally hundreds of millions of people around the world. He has set the standard for customer service, for lifestyle experience. He is the author of, I believe, 11 books. He is joining us today from Portugal. Colin Cowie, welcome to On Leadership. Scott, I'm delighted to be with you today, and thanks for inviting me. We always like to invite South African guests because just their accent is captivating. So we try to book as many Kiwi, Australian, and South African guests as possible. Uh, Colin, it really is an honor to have you. My wife is what you would call a fangirl. We, we could interview the biggest CEO of Fortune 5 company, and she could care less. But the fact that uh, I'm interviewing you today is like what she is most interested in, as are many of our listeners and viewers around the world. You are a prolific author. You are a massive influencer. The impact you have had on the global landscape in terms of entertainment, hospitality. I think you call it hosp hospitainment. We'll get back to that. Hospitainment. And, and uh, your most recent book is called The Gold Standard. The tagline is giving your customers what they didn't know they wanted. We're going to spend our time today talking about some of the lessons that you have learned in your own global brand building, the successes, the setbacks that you've had. Your book is enormously practical. It's also very funny. It's aspirational. It's inspirational. And we'll talk about some of those things. What I'd like you to do for those few people left on the planet that may not be aware of who you are and what your firm does, will you talk a bit about your upbringing, some of your early books, what led you to write this book, and then we'll take some deep dives into the gold standard. Well, I was born in Central Africa, Zambia. Um, and at the age of 23, living in South Africa, I didn't really believe in the political system. So I emigrated to the United States. I came with $400 because you can take any currency out of the country, one well-cut suit, an omnipresent suntan and big dreams. And I set my sights on Los Angeles and started off in Hollywood and uh, I was this young kid on the block, and before I knew it, I had clients like Bruce Willis and Demi Moore and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Barbara Streisand, and uh, I couldn't believe this was actually happening to me. And then from there, you know, the publishing started, the book started, the television shows, I started designing products, and I moved to New York. And now, full circle later, I've traveled 15 and a half million miles around the world in search of the best and the fabulous for my clients. And uh, have had some amazing, amazing experiences along the way. Life is completely experiential for me. Uh, good, bad, and indifferent. And that's why I chose to write this book as my first business book, um, being my, my 11th title and excited about it, very. Colin, your company has offices in New York, LA, and Miami. And you are, by every standard, the world's preeminent standard setter for lifestyle experience for events as well. But as you write in your book, 
your, really, your, your business really started in the South African army. You share a great story of kind of some twists and turns. Would you kind of uh, be vulnerable and share how you moved from perhaps a career towards being a car mechanic in the army <laughs> and how that pivoted to kind of becoming a lifestyle expert? Share that story and talk about how all of us may have a similar pivot moment in our life. We may just not have identified it yet. Right. Um, it's so interesting because I was drafted into the military of special armored vehicles. So I was going to either be a mechanic, a gunner, or a driver. Three things I clearly wasn't interested in being. But I was always drawn towards medicine. So I performed a, a, an Academy Award-winning epileptic seizure on the parade ground, got marched off to the sick bay, made myself indispensable there, and really enjoyed my time. And the next minute, I was in the operational area in southern Angola and, 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 and Namibia. And I remember one day saying to the officer, I said, maybe we could do something with the morale here and I could set up a bar for all of the troops. So I took a company helicopter, flew to Kruppenthain, I bought the tents, I bought all the equipment that I needed, and I set up the NCO's bar and I became probably one of the most popular people in the camp. And the funny thing was, I mean, I, I used a tent, I put a fountain outside the front, I called it the Sunset Bar, um, and I had a a big boom box in there for music. But the one thing that was really interesting was I found a big beverage server, you know, that big glass container with a spigot and sits on a stand. You can yes. make many cocktails at once. I thought this was such a great idea. I couldn't believe I found it in Namibia of all places. And that was the start of my entertainment career because I went on to recreate those on the home shopping network and sold 150,000 of them, full circle. Colin, I think there's such insight in that story because you know not everyone is Colin Cowie and not everyone has a massive brand like you and you know billionaire clients but everybody has an experience in their life where perhaps they had a turning point that allowed them to uncover their purpose their passion their mission and to be able to think about that on how could they turn that into their avocation their vocation I think the opening story is a gift to every reader that allows us to revisit what's our version of our Academy Award winning epileptic seizure that allows us to continue service, but do it in a way that unleashes our, our talents and our passions to serve others. The book is full of stories just like that. Um, I'd like to talk and about you know, a couple- it comes, it comes full circle. My actual biggest pivot, funny enough, Scott, was at the beginning of the coronavirus, at the beginning of the pandemic. I had just recently returned from a major wedding in South Africa, gotten married, had this extraordinary seven day event. And literally a week after I got back here, um, we went into lockdown actually in, in, in uh, New York City. And I watched our events business literally drain. I mean, all of a sudden like $7 million of business disappeared in one day. Why? Because nobody wanted to have parties. And of course, nobody was getting together. There were no public gatherings. And everything was moved to a year, and obviously we have other businesses, but there was a big, big hole in my income. So I thought to myself, I need to get smart very quickly. And uh, I took all these incredible skill sets that I have, and I put them under one umbrella, and I started a company called Thrive Hospitality. And I started taking the same skills and the same ideas that I used to create these extraordinary experiences. And I started knocking on the doors of real estate developers who were building resorts or refurbishing resorts and wanted to reimagine what the entire guest experience could be. 
Within six weeks, I had a new home, a new office in Miami, and I had three clients that I've got signed now for the next two to three years worth of work. Of all the small knocks and falls and things that we've weathered along the way, that turned out to be my greatest pivot. So you never know when it's going to come or how it's going to come. See, Colin, that, that story, I followed your career for 20 plus years. That story is a perfect example of how people can pivot and thrive post-pandemic. It is those of us that are uh, the most emotionally agile, the most mentally nimble, the most curious. In fact, I'd argue that you write in the book and you inspired me to recognize that really what sets you apart from your competition is an insatiable curiosity. You are, I would say, a hyper-aware person. You write about, and I've heard you speak about, how you are constantly aware of your surroundings, whether it be a menu, a wall color, an architecture, a tchotchke, and you're kind of categorizing it thinking, how do I repurpose that? How do I use that? That, that is a leadership skill. What would you say to our listeners and viewers about the role that curiosity and awareness plays in being able to rebrand and repivot? I think curiosity is such an incredibly important ingredient in life because you're constantly looking, you know, and it's the same thing about customer service. You're constantly looking for opportunity. As you know, right now I'm traveling around Europe looking for inspiration for projects that I'm working, sorry, for projects that I'm working on. And uh, we're developing some beach clubs in Southern Florida. So I wanted to see what was new here. And along the way, wherever you look, you find inspiration. And uh, it's the same thing as why I bought this whole idea of customer service, which I think is so incredibly important right now, because it's not just there. It's one of those things you have to look for opportunity. And that comes from having a curious nature. If you sit back, nothing comes to you. And then you only get it when you go out there to look for it. And the more you look for it, the better you find. In fact, Colin, you write in your book that in many ways, luxury has now been democratized and that customer service is the new luxury. I, you know, I don't know of many sales organizations that train their sales staff on customer service. Now, yes, in the hospitality industry, perhaps, but, but when you look at you know, pharmaceuticals or high tech or finance, they're trained on their products. They're trained on their, on their service, like the service they provide, but they're not trained on customer service. Even here at Franklin Covey, we have extraordinary customer service, but we don't train necessarily on what is our protocol around that. We just hope that people rise to the occasion. Why do you think so many organizations focus on the, the, the features and the benefits of their products, but don't understand yet that customer service now is a key differentiator? Well, I think the product obviously is the most important thing. We have to know the product. We have to know what it is that we're selling. We have to be very, very passionate about it. But what, just like I said before, the product it doesn't move. The product doesn't jump off the shelves. The service doesn't jump off the shelves. We have to go and look for it. And that's why I think customer service today is so incredibly important. And when I wrote the book, I started this before the pandemic. And I cannot think of a business that didn't change, that didn't pivot, the staffing didn't change, office hours didn't change. And now more than ever, it's important that we align ourselves we get our businesses, we dust up our vision and our mission statements, we enrich the culture so the team is there to go out and stand out in the crowd. And how do we do that? I came up with the idea of thinking that proactive customer service is what's going to set us apart from everybody else. There's so much reactive service out there. When something goes wrong, somebody puts their hand up, if it's dealt with correctly, you could buy yourself some loyalty. 
But if you really want the emotional connection with your customer and in crowded areas of hospitality, of products, of services, of technology, you have to deliver proactive customer service. And I think if we can look and you can scour the internet and social media and you can find data, technology and information, we can start to shape that service delivery where we get to anticipate the unanticipated needs of what those guests are. And when you do that and you use the senses of what you smell, touch, taste, see, and hear to tell that story, you can create that emotional connection and you can make sure that you stand out in the crowd and that you will get that valued loyal customer. Colin, my favorite part of your book was uh, in the early half where you talked about kind of what are the standards at your company? You know, how does your company define customer service? How focused you are on business development and client retention, not just client acquisition. And you talked about the 30-minute rule, how, you know, in the olden days, perhaps, you know, a call might come in on the weekend and you would, your team would return it on Monday or the next day or whatever it was. And now you have, you know, a standard where calls get returned in 30 seconds. I mean, you, you are the world's most preeminent brand on experience, events, catering. You, 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 you host and create the most fantastical events for multinational companies, for kings, for celebrities and billionaires, yet you have a standard in your company where your philosophy is, is you don't have a right to exist. You have to re-earn it in every handwritten note, every phone call. Talk to our listeners and viewers about some of the standards that even someone at your level, which is incomparable, what you do as a culture in your company to earn and re-earn your client's business every day. 15 years ago, I could handpick which projects I wanted to take and which projects I didn't want to take. And as you know, the world has changed completely. And in the events world, there's no barrier to entry. Um, anybody can come in and we find inexperienced people, take beautiful pictures, they pop up a website, and they're now your competition. So all of a sudden, all these spaces have become tremendously crowded where there's more service than what there is the actual business. There are more services available. It's completely overpopulated. And as a result of that, and we all know it's a very slippery slope when people start cost cutting and slashing prices because you're never gonna get them back again. So the space became so competitive that where I used to close 90% of the deals that came to me, all of a sudden I was closing 70% of the deals that came to me because people were undercutting and providing a lot of services for free just to be able to be out there. So I had to sharpen my pencil and I had to be at the top of my game. We used to return phone calls and web messages on a Monday. Now we have a policy in the company that if we receive anything over the weekend, an alert goes off and that call is returned within 30 minutes. Why? Because we know that the first person that makes connection with that customer has got a foot in the door. They've got an 80% chance of closing that deal because they're the first person there. And we know today that every client and every customer is speaking to four or five people at a time. They don't pick up the phone to call one person and they'll leverage the one company against the other company. So I make sure that we're the first person to be able to make that connection. Then we do our homework about them. We learn as much as we can about them. We invite them into the office as quickly as we can. And then it's a production, Scott. I make sure that we can, I have an intern downstairs on the sidewalk who can visually identify the client when they get out of the car, they greet them by their name. They bring them into the elevator, bring them upstairs into our conference room. They're seated in seat one or two, which looks through a glass window into the rest of the offices so they can look around and think, 
This looks like I'm in a really professional establishment. They look on the screen, they'll see their names printed. If it's a big high-end wedding that I'm bidding for, I'll have macaroons on the table with their initials on. I'll have white wine, red wine, and do all those for those social appointments at five, six o'clock in the evening. I'll have snacks available. Come in, do the introduction, and it's showtime. And I think everyone today has learned to sharpen your pencil and to up the game as much as you possibly can so that you get to create the emotional connection with that client and you get that foot in the door. So I think now harder than ever do we work not only to gain that client, but then on the claim client retention side, we never forget a birthday. Like during the pandemic, I took certain clients, some of their most favorite events, and I made jigsaw puzzles and I had them sent to them. I took music from their favorite parties and created playlists. So with all these amazing things to make sure that we always stay in front of the client and we're always on their radar. And even if they're not about to do something, they'll speak about me and mention me to somebody else. To our listeners and viewers, I want to take a pause. I have had the privilege of interviewing 175 of the world's most famous influencers, authors, business titans, celebrities. That last four or five minutes with Colin Cowie was the most profound business lesson you should be re-listening to and playing to your team members. Colin Cowie is at the top of his game and he's telling you that when he's entertaining a possible new client, not signed yet, they're searching on the internet for what these people look like. They send someone down in the street to identify them and welcome them by name and usher them up into the office. This is what separates the mediocre from the extraordinary, is the personalization, is the relationship, is the experience. It's remarkable, Colin. This is why your brand influence is unrivaled. And I've never had you cater a party, obviously. I've never been to one of your parties, but I know about you because you continue to raise the bar for yourself. And I think every organization, every chief customer service officer, every chief brand officer, every chief marketing officer should be reading this book, The Gold Standard, to challenge how are you going to differentiate yourself in your industry. Colin, I appreciate you recapping that. I want to take a pivot for a moment and talk about Oprah. Because our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, of course, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book is the, you know, the genesis of our company. We have lots of other practices, but this remains a core tenet in what is our contribution to the world. Dr. Covey writes about and we talk about this concept of a transition figure. We all have someone in our life that perhaps believed in us more than we believed in ourselves, that was able to provide us the spotlight, the platform, a pivot point. I'm guessing you had many transition figures, but I'd like to talk a bit about the role that Oprah, who of course has, again, incomparable brand power, will you recreate what happened to your brand and your influence because of the spotlight Oprah provided to you? Yes, and I have a very fascinating answer for you. First of all, I'm eternally, eternally grateful to her because we created the most incredible friendship and I got to launch many, many books on her show. And because of that, I became her most trusted event planner, party producer, and have made incredible, incredible events and experiences with her. She's without a doubt the biggest influencer in my career. I mean, I couldn't walk through an airport without being recognized purely because of the power of Oprah. But then the funny thing happened. There was a, a pivotal shift because, you know, 
Television shows love to sensationalize and show how grand and wonderful things are. And it will be Colin just did this incredible event in the Middle East and flew in five jumbo jets to fly in the equipment and everything else that went with it. And uh, you heard about all these extraordinary events we were doing. And at the end of the day, I got kind of pigeonholed as if you weren't a billionaire, you couldn't afford to work with me. So I got kind of stuck into this hemisphere that was almost unrelatable or untouchable. And as a result, I had to work really, really hard to overcome that. So rather than waiting just for the cream on the top of what it is, of, 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 of the, the business, I bifurcated my company and I created different products. It's the same brand, Colin Cowie, but I created a lower brand called a more accessible brand, I should rather say, called Colin, called Team Cowie. And Team Cowie was a Colin Cowie event, but you didn't have access to me personally. You worked with the team. You worked exactly with, with uh, the creative team that I work with. But we were able to allow and create a product at a lower price point that was more accessible. And it was one of the smartest things that I did because it became one of the fastest growing areas of the company. And it just goes to show you know, you have to always be looking and looking for opportunity to figure out how do I get back on track? So as I was pushed into this, this arena that was so almost untouchable, I then had to figure out how do I ground this and start to get that business back? And, you know, whenever you're pushed in the corner, you sink or you swim, right? And uh, you learn to swim faster than others, hopefully. And that was for me an, another very pivotal moment in my business career. In fact, Colin, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you actually trifurcated the business. You actually had three did. stratas, didn't you? Talk us through the pivot of those three stratas. I found that to be a remarkably valuable business lesson. Obviously, you had as you said you've been pigeonholed. If you aren't a Middle East king, you can't afford me, which wasn't necessarily true. Talk about the three strat stratas of your business. Okay, so we have three areas. The the entry level was uh, Team Cowie, which basically was our, became a, a very fast growing area of our business where my team worked primarily and my teams of people worked primarily with customers and clients. Then there was Signature Colin, which brought in my services and uh, we had a, a, a personal relationship throughout the, the whole process from beginning to end. Then I created Colin Cowie White, which is password protected. And that was for our haute couture clients. These are for the clients who want the very best. They want quality, they want pedigree, they want provenance. They want to know that not only can we get them Dom Perignon, but we can get it from their birth year and we can get them in magnum sizes and we can get it for 350 people. They want to know that if we're going to be in Versailles, we're not at a tent in the garden, we're going to be inside the Hall of Mirrors. So we create the impossible for people who really want to be able to do something extraordinary that's never been seen or done before. So our three tiers were Team Cowie, Signature Colin and Colin Cowie White. Colin, let's pivot to the idea of when perhaps more is not always better. Uh, I, I think I read where you had a wedding where you had like 30,000 Ecuadorian roses once. And that was, you know, at the time fairly significant, only to be eclipsed by an event where you had a million flowers, a million exactly. flowers as part of the event. You can see my set. We have some kindred spirit in that I love to go big and I perhaps this set was a bit overdone as we remodeled it because it's um, viscerally on overload. Colin, when, 
What have you learned about when bigger is not better? When is less more? First of all, let's just start with your set. I love your set because I think it's amazing. You're surrounded by extraordinary people and it shows exactly who you are and what you do. And it gives you great provenance for sure. But I feel that today everything is overserved, And, you know, I, I call myself a, a ruthless editor. So, yes, if I want to make a statement, I like to take one thing and to use a lot of it, because that way, as we can see by your set, it makes a big statement. But I think today, how do we filter through all the stuff? Right? There's never been more stuff than we've ever seen in our lives before. I mean, traveling through Europe now, in the middle of June, things are going on sale that used to go on sale in August, because they've got to clear the space for a new product to come down the line. So I think we are oversorted in all areas. And I think to tell a good story, you need to get rid of 98% of the matter and the stuff out there and find the 2% that sticks because that way you can tell a good story. So I don't think it's always about more. <clears throat> I think it's about having the right ingredients and telling a tailor-made story that really makes sense and hits the nail on the head. Colin, some of the stories in the book are, you know, fantastical and of course, unrelatable to, you know, perhaps people like me. You had clients that insisted on owning the one thing in their wedding was they were going to own the wedding cake. And so they, their private jet took off to Hawaii and forgot the wedding cake. So you, I think, had to like book two first class seats on a commercial airliner to bring the wedding cake out. You once had another event. I don't know if it was in Bali or where it was. And they forgot the, the, the headpieces for the <laughs> bridesmaids. So you picked a few flowers out of the 30,000 roses and made, you know, the head, you, you share lots of stories about this. Let's take this and talk about micromanagement. Teach a leadership lesson. You obviously have a very discerning editing eye. You obviously have built a global brand of incomparable quality on your brand is your company. But you know, for some people, micromanagement can be oppressive. For others, micromanagement is merely quality control. Not all micromanagement is good or bad. What leadership lessons would you share with us when we hear this phrase micromanagement? I'm not, I'm not pigeonholing you as that at all. Oh, yeah. What have you learned about um, the connection between micromanagement and quality, but also how to empower people to bring their own creativity and their own you know, um, level of um, passion to your projects? What have you learned about that whole content? So when you produce on the scale and the size of what we produce, it's an enormous and an innate amount of information and product that's got to be arranged, organized, shipped, produced. It's a, it's a massive, massive, massive task. And clearly, we don't only do one event at a time. You've got maybe 10 events in production. You've got books that you're writing. We've got consult consulting. I mean, I'm a very, very busy man. And I find that when you micromanage, you tend to put roadblocks in the way and you don't get the very best out of your people and you don't get the most productivity out of your people. So I believe in very, very clearly defined roles and responsibilities. So people know exactly what is expected of them and what they need to do. And then I empower them to make 80% of all those decisions themselves, because if you don't, you don't move things forward. And I find if you give your people the right directive, if you give them the skills and the tools that they need and you let them go to do what they've got to do, they will always come back and impress you. 
And as a result of it, we get to move our projects forward and I get to see everything moving forward, which allows me to do what I need to do is to look at the top and make sure that everybody is doing what they're supposed to do. So I almost have nothing to do because the teams are doing what they're supposed to do. A lot of people are a lot more hands-on and tend to want to micromanage things and I find they get stuck and they don't empower the people and give them the confidence that they need to be the leaders that they need to move the needle. And that's what's important. And the funny thing is how I learned this lesson one day, I was sitting next to my friend and the legendary businessman, Steve Schwartzman. And I said to him, if you could teach me one lesson, what would it be? He said, in a business like yours, empower your people to make all the decisions they need to do so you can move things forward. I never forgot that. Colin, take this a step further. For the last week, I've been reading your book in bed at night with my wife, Stephanie, and every two pages I stop and say, see, see this is why he is who he is. Listen to this story. Because uh, the, the, the book, The Gold Standard, is just full of golden nuggets, no pun intended. Uh, you have a Bible, so to speak. No, no, no offense to the Bible, which is a, a very prescriptive play-by-play uh, standard of how your experiences and events it's not open for interpretation. Everybody in your organization knows exactly what is, what is expected of them, what's expected for the client. In fact, you share a story about how I think you had a custom dinner for, I think it was maybe a business dinner for 50 people. And I believe your team spent three days practicing the synchronicity of how there was a one-to-one ratio, one diner yes. to one server and for three days, your team practiced the entire event, including the synchronicity in which the plates would be served and taken away. Can you just take some fun and kind of recreate that and why it's so important sure. to train and prepare your team for experience? Because we want the very best and you only have one chance to do it right. right? So there's no... You know, you need to understand that events are like live television. There's no take two. You mind if we do that again? It's in a live scenario. And the event you're talking about was actually Ryan Seacrest's 40th birthday. And we were in a cave, a wine cave in Napa Valley. And we had, I think it was 50 or 60 waiters putting down 50 or 60 plates simultaneously. So when they walked into the room, they were walking the perfect timing. But when you turn the corner to go around the table, you have to walk double time. So all this had to be thought out and synchronized so that when everybody got to the position, one, two, three, down, two, three, the plate went two, three, back two, three, exit two, three. So, and if you don't do that correctly, it looks sloppy. So if you're going to want to do something that makes an impression like that, it has to be no margin forever whatsoever. And so for me, we do it again and again until we get it right. It's the only way. Now, I don't ever it. like to start conversations with I'm sorry. And in this business, when people get us to do what we do on the scale and what the level is. Yeah. You know, the, the level of performance is here. So it's about how I get my teams to perform. And that's what we call the Bible. So in a period of maybe 12 months, nine months, 14 months, from the time the client walks into our, into our offices till the event is over, we create a minute by minute guideline day by day that gives you a complete outline. So no matter what we've discussed in the last 18 months, it is in that timeline, and there's a, a time, a person who's responsible and an action plan. And that way I can prove to the client in a, two weeks before the event that we've got every single thing that we've discussed and it's now produced to tell a smart, educated story with a carefully thought at a beginning, a middle and end, so I create the right reaction with the client. 
Timing is the most important thing, Scott. And when you think about it, it's the one thing that doesn't cost a cent, but it brings great production value. We don't want to be late. I think the moment you arrive at an event or a, or a meeting and you're late, you start with, I'm sorry. You've already started on a negative footing. Right? So I think timing is incredibly important today and how we connect with that customer, consumer, which brings me to another thing that I love to do. I love writing handwritten notes. No one does that today. We only get emails. We only get texts. And I find that when I've seen a client and I want to close the deal and I immediately write that handwritten note and pop that into the mail to them, it creates that connection. Or if I'm in a hotel somewhere and someone's upgraded me to a fabulous room or sent something wonderful to my room, I will write a note and thank the GM, whoever it was, and it kind of paves the way for next time. And these are simple things that people have just forgotten to do. And I think you get 10 points for the, uh, for the handwritten note. You get five points for a, for a text or, a, or, or, or an email. Colin, uh, the other side of that is not everything always goes perfectly. You share a great story about the retrieval of the salads to um, divide and multiply them because you were running out of salad. Would you recreate that story for us? I mean, we're in a situation once and I looked in the kitchen and I could see what was going on. We were working in a foreign country, not to the same teams we usually work with. And the portion size was this and one and this size and another. And I knew it was going to happen. So before the disaster took place, we were able to redistribute and make sure that you you were able to deal with the situation before it happened. That's why I love this word proactive. You know, it's anticipating the unanticipated before it happens. And when we do these events, we're always thinking 30 minutes ahead. You're not only working in the moment, you're not only present in this exact moment right now, but you want to know and be able to troubleshoot what's happening in 20 minutes, what's happening in 30 minutes. Are we keyed up for it? Are we ready for it? And that's why the timeline is so incredibly important and why roles and responsibilities are that incredibly important because it needs to be looked like and come across a Broadway show that's been practiced for the last six months. Remember, Scott, every time you go into a restaurant or a hotel, they've had six weeks to prepare, they've had a soft opening, they've bought in teams from their other properties. Every time we go and we set up tents and generators and kitchens in a field, it's the first time. So we have to build in so many responsibilities and so much information to make sure that we never have that problem and that we can fix it in real time or we can troubleshoot it before it actually happens. Which brings me to the point, a lot of clients have said to me, I came to you because I came, I want the perfect party. And I've always said, I'm telling you right now, something's going to go wrong, but I will fix it before you even know it's gone wrong. But perfect doesn't exist in this world, but your best is more than good enough. And if I have the right people around me and have all the right tools at my fingertips, I'll fix it before the guest even notices that it has been happening. Colin, you've used my name six times during this interview. We don't know each other. Uh, perhaps you'll agree to be a master mentor in my book, uh, volume three or four. Why is it important like to you to use my name? Because I think the personal connection is incredibly important. And when we're delivering luxury service today, I, I came up with this pipeline of what it takes to do. And I think the most important thing is to create the personal connection. Let me use your name, look you in the eye, shake your hand, create that connection with you, and let you understand that I'm completely here, present, and 100% focused on you. Then the next thing is whatever we're doing, show extreme attention to detail. I think that's incredibly important because that's how you impress people and you set yourself apart from everyone else. I then love to add a filter of elegance to anything that I do. 
you know it's um, and, uh, and we can talk about that because there's so many things that we can do to make things better which elevates service and then realizing that none of this happens without teamwork and communication you know i'm one person but I, i'm one person i'm one cog in a wheel of a huge team and how we communicate is how we set one another up for success and when you're dealing with service delivery today consistency is the most important thing I mean, think about it. You go to a restaurant three times, and you have a great experience. You tell all your friends about it. You go the fourth time, you think, is it a different chef here today? Is there a different manager on duty? So it has to be consistent. And we can only be consistent if we have protocols. So I like to have protocols for everything. How the conference room is set up. What happens when we get on a job site? How we do our gifting? Everything has got a, a, a set of um, protocols. So given to anyone, Combined with our vision, mission, and guiding principles, 98% of the time, you will deliver exactly what it is that I've asked you to do. And I think it's, you know, that's why it's all dependent on a whole cog of things coming together to be able to deliver this type of service that's going to set you apart from everyone else and stand out in the crowd. Colin, I'm aware of our time, so two final questions. What is the most fantastical, outrageous, unrelatable experience you ever created or fulfilled for a client? Oh, I think, you know, there are many of them. Many, 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 many. I mean, I sometimes pinch myself and think, did we really do this? And, you know, I have to tell you, I'm as excited today on the job site as I was 30 years ago, 35 years ago when I first started this business. But I would think that one of my most extraordinary, extraordinary events was to have produced together with Oprah Winfrey, her Legends Ball in 2005, when she got to honor the 20 civil rights uh, artists, writers, members of the African-American female community who really paved the way for the 40 up and coming youngins today. And it was an incredible, incredible opportunity to really and how it came about was Oprah said, I get asked to do so many eulogies, but these women are so important. I'd rather talk about them when they're alive. So we said about how we were going to honor these 20 women, 20 women and make them feel the most important people in the world and recognize them for all and everything that they had done. And there were just so many things. It was layered in love. Um, one great moment was I remember presenting these gifts to these ladies. There were 50 ladies seated around one table. Sorry, 60 ladies seated around one table. And on cue, 60 waiters came down and put down 60 silver trays. On each tray was a red alligator box with sterling silver feet with a red ribbon around it. And on cue, they opened them and each woman got 10 carats of diamond earrings. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then getting Paul Cleave to write a poem about these people and having the youngins perform this. I've never been surrounded by such greatness in my life before. And it was a seminal moment for me that I will never, ever forget. And so grateful that I was part of it. In fact, I think there was a spread in Vanity Fair, I read, that had all the photographs, right, of Maya Angelou and others there. I think it was Everybody. It was in, and you know, many, and sadly, many of those women are no longer with us right. today. So for right. Oprah, it was mission accomplished. Yes. Yeah, what a class act, her and you. Okay, let's bring this home. Literally, let's bring it into the home. You write about how you were raised in Africa in a very strict family. Your father and mother taught you relentlessly good table manners, eye contact, diction, uh, handshakes, posture, how to eat. And this, of course, has you know been instrumental in your business. What lessons do we all need to be reminded of? 
when we're entertaining in our home, whether it be for a bar mitzvah or Thanksgiving dinner or just Sunday dinner around the table with family, what are the key tenets that we need to be remembering as hosts? I think the most important one is there's the real reason you're entertaining people is to bring them into your home. You want them to feel welcome and comfortable. So many people feel they have to impress you. And when they impress you, they feel that they have to start doing things that are out of their comfort zone. So be prepared and, and take a proactive approach to entertaining so that you can be present. You can look them in the eye and you can have a wonderful conversation and you can have a great evening. How many times do you go to someone's home and they answer the door after way too long of a wait and there were more ingredients on the apron that had made it into the salad bowl? You walked into the kitchen, there's pot steaming all over, the table hasn't been set and they get very, very flustered and frustrated. I like to, be, I like to do the complete opposite set the table the morning, the day before. I like to make sure I've got time to go and put on a fresh shirt. I can mix a cocktail and make very simple food. And if I don't have the time to cook it, we can be resourceful today. You don't get medals for chopping, slicing, dicing, and peeling because there's such incredible resources of what you can order either online, there's places that deliver food for you. But the idea is to be well-prepared so you can sit down with your guests and you can entertain them and you can be present and you can spend time focusing on what you smell, touch, taste, and hear, set the stage and have a great night. The book is the gold standard, giving your customers what they didn't know they wanted by the incomparable expert Colin Cowie. Colin, joining us today from Portugal, thank you for your time. Thank you for your abundance, your contagious positivity, your, your constant reinvention of experience, customer service. Uh, the book is extraordinary, literally, and metaphorically full of golden nuggets. It is an extraordinary business and leadership book. Thank you, Colin, for your time today. Thank you, Scott, for making me so welcome on the show. I had a great time. And when you write that second volume, I'd be happy to be one of your 30 chapters. Colin, I'm honored. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Uh, pick up a copy. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. Give the book to everybody on your team. Have them read it as a book club in your organization. And we'll see you back here next week with a new guest on leadership.